Well, good morning. Our sermon text this morning comes from Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. It's printed for you there on page 9 of your bulletin. It says, And he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Would you please pray with me as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are a God who knows our hearts and speaks the words that we need to hear. And we ask this morning that your spirit would give us ears to hear you speaking, that you would give us hearts to believe in your goodness and love for us. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So there was an English writer in the 18th century named Samuel Johnson. And during his time, Johnson was well known for his many poems, plays, essays, and the Dictionary of the English Language, which he completed single-handedly. But Johnson was also a Christian, and so as a writer, he kept a pretty regular diary of his personal religious life, a diary which is still extant and, and published today. And so I'd like to read you a few excerpts from his diary concerning his attempts to grow in his devotional time with the Lord. The first one comes from his birthday in 1738. He writes, O Lord, enable me to redeem the time which I have spent in sloth. About 20 years later, on the eve of Easter in 1757, he wrote a very similar prayer. Almighty God, enable me to shake off sloth and redeem the time that's spent in idleness and sin by a diligent application of the days yet remaining. And then, about seven years later, on Easter Eve of 1764, he wrote again, My purposes from this time on is to avoid idleness, to rise early, to keep a journal, to worship God more diligently, and to read the scriptures. Well, on Easter Eve of the next year, he again wrote, I purpose to rise at eight, because though I shall not rise early, it shall be much earlier than I now rise, for I often lie till two. Sounds a little bit like a college student. <laughs> then on New Year's Day of 1769, he said, I am not yet in a state to form any resolutions, but I purpose and hope to rise early in the morning at eight, and then by degrees at six. And then on Good Friday of 1775, which was 37 years after the first entry, he wrote, when I look back upon resolutions and improvements which have year after year been made and have been broken, why do I yet try to resolve again? I try because reformation is necessary. And then in 1781, 43 years after the first entry, he wrote, I will not despair, but help me, help me, oh my God. My hope is to rise at eight or sooner, 
to read through the Bible this year and to keep a journal. Now, my guess is that if you are here this morning and you have been a Christian for any length of time, you can probably sympathize with Samuel Johnson. We all want to be more disciplined when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, and that includes our prayer lives. In a recent study done by the Christian publisher Crossway, only 2% of Christians reported that they were very satisfied with their prayer lives. So as it turns out, most of us find it difficult to pray consistently. And why do you think that is? Well, in Crossway's study, many people reported that the biggest barriers to prayer were some of the usual suspects, things like distraction and busyness. And so, like Samuel Johnson, we may believe that we just need to be more resolved in making time for prayer. And that could be true, but I think that there is also something more deeply seated in our hearts that causes prayer to fall by the wayside. And that is, frankly, a doubt that prayer does anything. You know, for some of you, prayer just doesn't seem as effective as planning and pragmatism. We allow busyness to crowd out prayer in our lives because getting up and doing something seems a lot more productive than sitting down and praying. Or for others of you, there have been points in your life where you have prayed very fervently to no avail. And you start to wonder, does God really hear our prayers? Does he care what weighs heavily upon my heart? Is he even there? And if he is, why doesn't he do something? No, our resolutions to pray, well, we can quickly become discouraged and give up on them. And Jesus knows this difficulty that we have in persevering to prayer. And he gives us this parable for that very reason. Now, if you're not familiar with the parables, these are simply stories that Jesus tells to help people see spiritual truths. And such stories, as in the words of C.S. Lewis, steal past the watchful dragons. That is, they operate on our hearts in a way that propositional teaching just can't. And admittedly, it's sometimes hard to know what to make of some of the parables that Jesus teaches. But thankfully, we're not left in the dark on this one. Because even before we hear the parable, Luke tells us its purpose in verse 1. He says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus tells us this parable because he wants to encourage us so that we might persevere in prayer. And what does Jesus tell us to help us do that? How do we persevere in prayer? Well, as we walk through this parable this morning, we're going to see three things that Jesus tells us. Our weakness, God's goodness, and the need for patience. So first, we see our weakness. This parable centers around two main characters, an unrighteous judge and a widow. And we're going to focus on the second of those characters first. So in verse 3, we're told that there was a widow in that city who kept coming to the judge. And in the ancient world, widows were some of the most weak and vulnerable people. Their standing and security was attached to their husbands. And so whenever a woman's husband died, she was left to fend for herself. Widows were often poor because there wasn't anything like life insurance or social security. And they were easily oppressed because they had no one to defend them. And that apparently is what has happened to the widow in this story. 
Because she comes to the judge and she says, give me justice against my adversary. Now you'll notice she does not say, give me vengeance. She says, give me justice. So someone has apparently taken advantage of her in some way, and she is helpless to do anything about it. Her only resort is to go to this judge, but as we'll talk about in a moment, he is an unrighteous judge. And so, as verse 4 tells us, for a while he refused her plea for justice. He had no interest in righting the wrong that had been committed against her. And this widow didn't have anyone who could advocate for her, nor did she have any money with which she could bribe the judge. And so what does she do? She just keeps coming back. She knows that this judge is the only one who can alleviate her suffering. And so in her weakness and in her helplessness, she keeps coming to him. She keeps asking for him to do something. Now, one thing that we should keep in mind is that whenever Jesus tells parables, though they are fictional stories, the characters in these parables are meant to represent the spiritual condition of real people. And in this parable, the widow is representing those who are praying. And why do you think Jesus uses a widow to represent us? It's because like the widow, we are weak. We are helpless. Life throws at us more than we can manage. We face injustice and suffering and other hardships that we just simply can't fix on our own. Now, many of us might might be nodding our heads to this at a theological level, but at a personal level, I think this is a little harder for us to admit because we're supposed to be strong Americans who can overcome any obstacle with a little bit of hard work, right? Being weak is seen as a bad thing. I remember when I was in college, my family started watching this show called NCIS. Maybe some of you still watch it. I think it's still on the air, and it's like 17th season now. And if you still watch it, I'm not sure if this is still a part of the show, but in the early seasons, the fearless leader, Leroy Jethro Gibbs, would often give his deputy agents some rules to live by. And one of the often quoted rules was rule number six, never apologize. It's a sign of weakness. A rule which Gibbs borrowed from John Wayne himself. Now, aside from the fact that never apologize is terribly unbiblical, the whole premise of this, is, of this advice is that it is bad to give any indication of weakness. We don't like to admit it. Not only do we not like to admit our weakness, but we also don't want to feel our helplessness. So much of our lives is spent trying to shore ourselves up against vulnerabilities. This is part of the allure of money. Nothing makes us feel powerful quite like money. Because money deceives us into thinking that we can make the things that we want to happen, and we can protect ourselves from the things that we don't want happening. You know, that's why there are so many different types of insurance. Every year around enrollment time, I get overwhelmed, not only because of the rising cost of insurance, but because of all these different add-on policies like accident insurance and hospital indemnities. And all of these things exist because we hope that they can buy us some insulation that will keep us from feeling our weakness and our helplessness and our vulnerability. But there are cracks in the insulation, aren't there? 
on a small scale, we face daily situations that cause us to feel our helplessness. Things at our jobs don't change no matter how hard we try. Or the baby just won't stop crying no matter what we do. Or we're running late to somewhere and we're stuck in traffic and we can't just make it go any faster. Or you're at the store and you just can't find that thing that you need. It happens every day. But then there are those bigger moments in life where our weakness comes into full view. Things with our kids reach a point of crisis where the doctor gives us an unthinkable diagnosis. And it is then that we see that the fortresses that we have built for ourselves are really just houses of cards. We are weaker and more helpless in life than we ever realized. And when we become in touch with that reality, we start to do what the widow does. We run to God over and over and over because what else can we do? Who else can we turn to? The pastor Tim Keller speaks about this in his book on prayer. There was a point in his life where he was ministering in New York right after 9-11 had happened. His wife was also struggling with Crohn's disease and he had been recently diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so his wife, Kathy, came to him and asked if they could start praying together every single night. And she gave this illustration to Tim. She said, imagine that you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. And imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss it. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not gonna make it because of all that we're facing. I know I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it slip our minds. So contrary to what we and Samuel Johnson might think, prayer is not something that we do from a sense of self-resolve or self-discipline. No, prayer is something that flows from a sense of desperation. It's something that happens when we become acutely aware of just how helpless and needy we are. And not only in the moments of crisis, but really all the time. So that is the first thing that we need to see to persevere in prayer, our weakness. But we also need to see God's goodness. So let's look at the second character in this story now, the unrighteous judge. We're introduced to him in verse 2. And the first thing that we're told about him is that he neither feared God nor respected man. And since he didn't fear God, he didn't believe that there was any higher authority to whom he had to answer. There was no ethic or, or sense of justice that he felt like he was required to follow. And not only that, but he wasn't even concerned with getting his approval from his fellow man. I sort of wonder what that's like. This guy didn't care about what anyone thinks, whether God or man. His only concern was his own self-interest. And that's why he initially refuses the widow's request. She did, he did not care about rendering her justice. And because she's a widow, she didn't have anything that she could offer him. And so he just keeps putting her off. But she keeps coming. And so eventually he says to himself in verse 4, I neither fear God nor respect man, at least he's self-aware, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And that phrase, beat me down, is actually a metaphorical rendering of a Greek word that literally means, give me a black eye. So he seems to be making a joke that if he doesn't do something, then the situation might come to blows. And so in order to get rid of her, in order to get her just to keep from bothering him, the unrighteous judge gives this widow justice. And then Jesus draws out the comparison for us in verse 6. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Now, is Jesus making a one-to-one comparison here? Is he saying that like the unrighteous judge, we have to come to God over and over in order to have our requests heard? Well, no. Jesus is making a how much more argument. He's saying that if the unrighteous judge, who doesn't care about this widow at all, answered her request, how much more will our good God, who loves his people, hear our cries? And here, Jesus specifically refers to God answering cries for justice, but we could easily expand this out to all of our prayers, because Jesus uses the same sort of how much more logic elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus' comparison here sounds a little bit like one of these prank videos that float around during Christmas time. Maybe you've seen one of these. It's where parents allow their kids to open a Christmas present early. But instead of getting that baseball glove they ask for, they open up the box and they just find a double-A battery. Or instead of fuzzy socks, they find something like floss. And, and we like to laugh at the kids' reaction to these gifts. But the whole reason that we can laugh at these videos is because we know that no good parent would actually do that. Parents love to give good gifts to their children, especially in response to their requests. And even though parents may sometimes tire of hearing their children's requests, they still love to give them the things that they really need and want. And that's true of us who are selfish and sinful. How much more true is that of God, whose very nature is goodness and self-giving love? You know, Jesus, in verse 7, says, will God not give justice to his elect? And in referring to the elect, he is referring to us whom he has adopted as his children. He is referring to us whom he has chosen to be the recipients of his goodness and love. He is referring to us whom he has made the apple of his eye, as the Old Testament says. And so perseverance in prayer comes not only from a sense of our weakness, but also a knowledge of God's goodness. We cry out day and night to God, not in order to get him to do something. No, we do so because we know that God hears us, he cares for us, and he wants to act on our behalf. Children who are secure in their parents' love shamelessly ask them for anything and everything over and over and over, right? Well, in the same way, we are drawn to prayer when we know God's love for us. And so this is a question that we can ask ourselves. Is our lack of prayer an indication 
that our hearts have grown cold to the warmth of God's goodness? Is the absence of prayer in our life a sign that our hearts are actually struggling to rest in God's love? And maybe this morning the answer for you is yes. You are struggling to believe in God's goodness. Maybe the circumstances in your life are making you question God. You're looking around and you're thinking, you know, not much is going right right now. And so I'm having a really hard time seeing how God is good. Well, whenever we question God, we have to go back to the basics. We need to return to the foundations of our faith, and that is Jesus. We must remember that Jesus is the one telling us this parable. He is the one asserting God's goodness to us. But Jesus doesn't just tell stories about God's goodness. No, he himself is God's good gift to us. He is the answer to our greatest need, which is the forgiveness of our sins. Paul puts it this way in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has already given us the ultimate demonstration of his goodness and love and sending Jesus to die on our behalf, then will he fail to show his goodness in our lesser needs? And so Jesus exhorts us to pray. When we are anxious and overwhelmed in life, when we are suffering, when we are facing injustice, when our hearts are heavy, Jesus exhorts us to pray with the assurance that God hears us and that he will do what is right and good for us. But still, some of you might be thinking, you know what, I have prayed. I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed for something and nothing happened. We have to recognize that just because we pray for something over and over doesn't mean we are going to receive that. The Bible never actually promises that. Jesus comes awfully close in some instances because he wants us to be bold in our prayers, but he always adds a qualifier. And so sometimes we pray, and the answer is no. Now, kids that are here this morning, when you ask something of your parents, they don't always give it to you, right? And I know whenever that happens, your tendency is to think, you know, I'm going to be a lot cooler than my parents when I have kids someday. But when you have kids someday, you'll realize that sometimes your parents say no, not because they're the worst, but because they actually love you. They're doing what's best, even if that doesn't make sense to you right now. And similarly, God sometimes says no to our prayers. But that is actually a manifestation of his goodness and his love to us. And so it shouldn't discourage us from praying. If anything, it should drive us to pray more so that we might discover and understand his good purposes for us. But what about those prayers which we know are aligned with God's will? Well, that leads us to the last thing that Jesus wants us to see, and that is the need for patience. So here, as we said, Jesus is referring to justice which the Bible tells us is a part of God's very character. In Jeremiah 9, 24, the Lord says to the prophet, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. And because God delights in justice, 
Jesus says that, of course, he is going to give justice to his people who cry out to him. And not only is God going to answer that prayer, but Jesus goes on to say in verses 7 and 8, will he delay long over them? The implied answer, no. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But this is where we might get hung up once again. Because it often seems like God is delaying, doesn't it? It doesn't feel like he's acting very speedily. You know, in a world where we can click a button on our phone and have something delivered to our door within hours, we can take that same expectation and project it onto God. And so we pray, and we pray for good things. We pray for suffering to end. We pray for wrongs to be righted. We pray for redemption and reconciliation in relationships. We pray for the softening of hearts. We pray for the deliverance of sin. In short, we pray for God's kingdom to come, as we prayed earlier this morning. We pray all of those things, and then it seems like nothing happens. And at best, we think it would be nice if God hired Amazon to run his fulfillment center. And at worst, we think that God is not listening or that he's not even there. And this is where we have to realize that, that God's sense of time is, is not quite the same as ours. In 2 Peter 3, the apostle is refuting these people who are saying that God's not going to do anything. They are saying that all things have continued just the way that they always have. And Peter's response is, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Now, this can be a little hard for us to swallow, both at a metaphysical and a personal level. We can think, okay, sure, maybe it's not slow to God because he exists in eternity, but it still feels slow to me. And that's why if we're going to persevere in prayer, we need patience. If we're going to continue in our relationship with the Lord through prayer, we have to learn to wait upon him. Now, we recognize this correlation between perseverance and patience everywhere in life. We know that if our kids are going to persevere in learning a musical instrument, they need patience before making beautiful music. Some of you might be thinking, I need patience too. We know that if we're going to stick to a new exercise regimen, we need patience before seeing results. We know that if we're going to continue down a career path, we need patience before enjoying success. We know that if we're going to continue into a new, investing into a new relationship, we need patience before seeing those tight bonds form. Most things that are worthwhile in life require patience if we are going to persevere in them. And prayer is no different. We cannot give up on prayer when God's definition of speedily doesn't match ours. And when we have trouble waiting, when we have trouble practicing patience, it can be helpful for us to think back and reflect on the prayers that we have previously offered to God. Because when we do that, we'll remember how the Lord answered those requests in his way and in his timing. Our experience will confirm the Lord's promise to answer our prayers, and we'll see that he is actually not slow to fulfill his promise, as sometimes we count slowness. And that will help give us the patience needed to persevere in prayer. 
But the reality is that no matter how long we wait, there are some prayers that are just not going to be answered this side of life. And that's why we need Jesus' last words in this passage. In verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, when I first read this parable, I thought this was kind of an odd way to end because he's supposed to be encouraging his disciples to not lose heart, but then he ends with a challenge. But there's some encouragement implicit in this challenging question because what he is saying is that one day he will come again and every wrong will be righted. Every deferred desire will be fulfilled. Every wound will be healed, and all suffering will end. In the words of Sam and Dave, Jesus says, hold on, I'm coming. And Jesus is asking us, will you continue to pray in faith as you wait upon me? This promise of the second advent is what we ultimately need to persevere in praying. Because even if we know our weakness, why would we pray to God if he is not our hope? Or how can we be sure of his goodness if he does not ultimately put an end to evil? Or how can we be patient if there is no assurance that that patience will ultimately pay off? But we do. We have the promise that Jesus will come again and every prayer will be answered. And that's why persevering in prayer is not about our resolve. Our resolutions are dependent upon us. But our prayers are dependent upon the Lord and upon upon his promises. And every Christmas we celebrate that God fulfilled the promise of the first coming of our Savior. So we can also be sure that he will fulfill the promise of his second coming as well. The question is, will we persevere in praying until he does? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you can be brutally honest in your word. You tell us just how weak and helpless we are, but you tell us that for our good, so that we might come to you, and that we might know that you are the fount of every blessing, Lord, that you are our provider, our sustainer, and our redeemer. You are the one who hears us and is ready to act on our behalf. And Lord, I pray that you you would warm our hearts to that reality by your spirit, that it would draw us to pray. But we also ask for patience, Lord, because we know that your timing is not our timing. So we need patience when we become discouraged in praying. Would you help us to wait upon you? Would you give us the faith that you will fulfill every desire of our heart You will fulfill fulfill every prayer that we lift up to you. Lord, you will fulfill every promise that you have made. And help us to look at Jesus for that assurance. We pray these things in his name. Amen.